You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 10. Uh, This year, the churches of the Liberty Communion, our, our small family of churches, uh, we're taking some time to review our shared mission, the, the mission that we share as local churches in our neighborhoods in, in, or in our regions. And so this morning, uh, we're going to consider the third and final aspect of our mission. If you've, if you've been with us, you've heard us say this phrase over and over again, that Liberty Churches exist to live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus for our neighborhoods. And so we've been spending a week talking about each of those things. Today is the third and final sermon in the series. And so we're going to consider what it means to serve as the very presence of Jesus for this region, for the Harrisburg region. And to do that, we're going to look at this text from from Mark's gospel. Here's what what I hope that you hear this morning. I'm going to give you just my hope up front, and then hopefully we, we get there as well. But here's what I hope you hear, that serving as the presence of Jesus is not a series of tasks or projects. It's not contained in in roles or responsibilities that we may or may not hold. But serving is a whole new paradigm. It's a brand new way of of thinking and living and relating to other people and to this world. And as we're going to see here, it's a way that we can only learn from Jesus himself. So let me pray for us, and then then we'll dive into today's text. Lord God... You have declared that your kingdom is among us. And so I ask even in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see it, that you would open our ears to hear it, that you would open our hearts to hold it, and then in response that you would open our hands to serve it. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, that is Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do whatever, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let's look at at three things in this passage that give us a new paradigm about what it means to serve as the very presence of Jesus. Three things, a request, 
a revolution and a ransom. A request, a revolution, and a ransom. So first, a request. Between Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10, Jesus predicts his own death, his suffering and death, on three separate occasions. And each time, it's followed by some instruction about what it means for the disciples to follow him. Each time then, that is followed by one or more of the disciples demonstrating that they really have not yet understood that. So here, it's, it's James and John's turn. And they make, as you heard, an audacious request. An audacious request. First, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus, can you just sign this check? Leave the, the, the number, the amount field blank. We'll fill in the details in a little moment. Just go ahead and, and say yes first. When Jesus then indulges them, they further request positions of prominence in his kingdom. One of them sitting at his right hand, the other sitting at his left. So thinking that Jesus is, is heading to Jerusalem to usher in political deliverance and a, and a political triumph, they want to be something like the prime minister and the chief of staff in his new administration. So here's what we immediately see in this text. If we misunderstand Jesus's mission, we will misunderstand discipleship. If we misunderstand his mission, we will misunderstand discipleship. If we think Jesus's first coming into this world was to conquer, was to trample, was to set up a political kingdom on earth, then we will likewise see our role as his disciples as conquering and trampling too. And we will never actually get to this place where we assume a, a posture of serving. Related to that, if we misunderstand Jesus's mission, we will make the wrong requests. We'll request the wrong kinds of things. We'll ask for positions of prominence instead of positions of obscurity. We'll come in with presumption instead of coming in with humility. We'll come in high instead of coming in low. James and John, as we see here, they do not yet understand Jesus' mission. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, like Peter before them, they are looking for a crown without a cross, glory without suffering, honor without humility. See, when, when they get to Jerusalem, there is going to be someone on Jesus' right and Jesus' left, but they won't be sitting at his right and left hand. Like Jesus, they'll be hanging on a cross. James and John have no idea what they are asking. And so Jesus responds to them and says, are you able to do what I'm about to do? A cup is an allotment from God. It's something that comes from the hand of God. And occasionally in places like Psalm 23, a cup refers to joy and prosperity. Some of the cup we get from God is joy and prosperity. But most often in the Bible, a cup refers to God's judgment. To, to God's wrath against sin. And Jesus is about to drink that cup down to its dregs. On the cross, he, he's going to experience a unique kind of suffering. He's going to be forsaken and abandoned by God in order to pay the penalty of humanity's sin. But James and John, completely misunderstanding that, just say simply, we are able, we can do that. About 12 or so years ago when I said, uh, hey, I think I'm ready to be a pastor and an elder in the church. Uh, one might accuse me of being a little bit naive. Now, you'd be wrong. I, I knew everything. I was completely ready for that. But you could accuse me, potentially, of that. No, right? Of course, of course I was naive. I still am naive. I still don't know what I don't know. And so, maybe this is comforting for you. It's certainly comforting for me. 
that these two disciples, two of the people who had the closest access and the most front row seats to Jesus during his life and ministry, they have a record which includes what might just be the greatest example in all of human history of overestimating yourself. That's what they're doing in this moment. Overestimation is the classic error made by people who want to be great. They they think too highly of themselves. They presume, they make arrogant, misguided requests. Now, there is something very noble. There is something very good about aspiration, about ambition. And and there's actually a, a false kind of humility that really is just avoidance refusing to actually step into what God has called you to or equipped you for. So don't hear me this morning bashing ambition or bashing aspiration. But serving as the presence of Jesus means putting yourself forward in the low place. Putting yourself forward in the low place. It's it's not passively hanging back. It's stepping out to do something. But it's not overestimating or presuming that the, that the something I'm supposed to do is the glorious or honorable or desirable thing. It's putting yourself forward in the low place. Uh, in this church, we are, we are blessed and have been for many years with a phenomenal team of deacons. And that word deacon in the original Greek language means simply servant. Servant. A deacon is a servant for the sake of Jesus' church. And it's a leadership role. It's it's an officer role in the church. But like all leadership in the kingdom of God, it's a servant leadership role. So we've said this many times over the years, but deacons are not just the people in the church that do all of the serving. They're not the ones we just get to kind of take our to-do list and say, thanks, thanks for being a deacon. You do all of this stuff. They're the ones that help all of us pursue a lifestyle of service, pursue a lifestyle of mercy. But they do that by serving themselves. They put themselves forward in a low place and thereby give us an example to follow, which is why they do things like cultivate partnerships with local organizations, local ministries of mercy, like Capital Area Pregnancy Center. We get to finish the baby bottle blast today. And New Hope Ministries and Peace Promise and Bethesda Mission and In Him, Christian Wellness. Our deacons coordinate moves and meals, and hospitality, and in-home help. And our deacons set up response and care plans for people who are are facing significant physical and tangible needs. Our deacons put in a ton of time that most of us never see, let alone hear about. That's how low a position a deacon is in its service. There are hours of their time put in every single week that that most of us just never hear about. Hard work entering into complicated and broken and yet hopeful situations. And they come in low as servants. So this morning, I'm, I'm grateful for the example of our deacons. I would also to, it, want to invite you to consider, in light of their example, consider what are you requesting of Jesus? What are you requesting of Jesus this morning? Some of you, if you think about it, aren't requesting anything. You aren't putting yourself forward at all. You aren't stepping up or stepping in at all. And we have at this very moment, very real needs and very real opportunities to serve. Uh, We need rides for people to and from this building each and every Sunday morning when we gather. We need more than the same usual suspects to, to make meals for peace promise when we do that once a month. 
We need people to step into roles with Liberty Nursery and Liberty Kids, especially in the summer when the schedules are just nuts. It's just insane to try to coordinate our collective schedules throughout a summer. And then no doubt, there are people in your neighborhood or your school community or your workplace that have significant need. And and even if those are not the needs that you might have been hoping for, When you said, I want to serve people, I want to care for people, these might not have been the needs that you were envisioning when you kind of signed up for that. Those are the opportunities that are being given to you to serve as the very presence of Jesus. See, for all their overestimation of themselves, we can at least say this about James and John. At least James and John wanted in. That they wanted to be part of the work Jesus was doing. They wanted to be part of the mission that he was on. And so I'd say to you this morning, men and women, Jesus offers you a role, a place in his kingdom. So don't refuse that. Ask him to show the role that he's given you. Even if it's not grandiose or glorious, it is no less significant. Others of you this morning perhaps are requesting a place. You are putting yourself forward, requesting a role. But perhaps like James and John, you're misunderstanding Jesus's mission or you're overestimating yourself or both. Remember that when they got to Jerusalem, the people on the right and on the left of Jesus were on crosses. So put yourself forward, but put yourself forward in the low place. Second, second, let's talk about a revolution, a revolution. When the other 10 disciples find out about James and John's request, they find out about this conversation. They're indignant. They're fired up. They're upset. Now, that might be because they, they understand, they see how misguided the request was. But far more likely, they're mad because they didn't ask first. Like, it's like when your sibling or your friend used to call shotgun before you. You got whatever your rules were. Ours were like, you have to be outside first and the car has to be in view. And your sibling or your friend would call shotgun. And you're like, and then you sit in the back like the whole time just angry. That's kind of how I envisioned the, the other 10 disciples in this moment. And so Jesus there in verse 42, he calls all 12 to himself and he starts to teach them how revolutionary the kingdom of God actually is. See, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It it takes the values and the approach of human kingdoms and it turns them on their heads. In our kingdoms, great ones exercise authority. And the word here means to gain mastery over or to subdue other people. But in God's kingdom, Jesus says, whoever would be great must be the servant. And whoever would be first must be the slave of all. Now, for many of us, if you've been around the church for any period of time in your life, especially if you've grown up in the church, that phrase is way too familiar to you to have its appropriate effect. Way too familiar. It's an absurd paradox to say that a slave would be first. It would have been unintelligible to people in the first century living under Roman rule. It would have been as absurd as other phrases we encounter in scripture, like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Tom Holland, and I, and I should specify that I don't mean the, the 27-year-old actor, uh, but the 55-year-old author, okay? I was, I was reminded this week that only nerds like me, when they hear the name Tom Holland, automatically go, yeah, the author, the guy that's been writing like philosophy and theology. For, no. Most people, normal people, think of the guy who played Spider-Man. So if that's who you thought of, great. I'm the one that thinks of Tom Holland, the author. So Tom Holland, the author, the original Tom Holland, his story 
is that he lost his faith as a teenager. He grew up in the church, walked away from the church as a teenager. But as a young adult, began to study classics, began to study antiquity, began to study the, the Greece and Roman empires. And as, he, and as he did that, his faith began to be rekindled. One of the critical factors in that for him was when he recognized and, and acknowledged how revolutionary Jesus and the ethics of the kingdom of God really are. Like, like if you actually agree in any sense this morning that the greatest of all is the one who serves, if you believe that at all, you have already been hugely impacted by Jesus and the ethics of the kingdom of God. Like even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and I imagine some of us in the room are kind of wondering what we believe, trying to figure this out. If you agree at all that leaders should be people who serve the people they lead rather than subdue them, Tom Holland would go so far to say that at least in some small sense, you're already a Christian. Like you already have bought into the values of the kingdom of God in a radical way that would never have happened before Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus' words here would have been completely alien and abhorrent in the first century. In that society and culture, no one puts themselves forward in order to suffer themselves. You put yourself forward so that you can be the one inflicting suffering on others. You put yourself forward to lord it over others, but not in the kingdom of God. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, at no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. In our kingdoms, greatness is defined by power, by authority. In God's kingdom, greatness is defined by serving. In our kingdoms, leaders have servants. But in God's kingdom, the leaders are servants. So let me just try to to help us recapture how revolutionary this is in a way that I think applies a little more directly to, to you and me in 21st century central Pennsylvania. Here at Liberty Harrisburg, we tend, in general, to be better at gifts of money than we are at gifts of time. Uh, Using the rhythms of grace, we have these nine uh, rhythms, habits of the Christian life that, that we're always kind of participating in. Using that grid of rhythms of grace, we tend to be better at generosity than we are at service. Why is that? There could be a lot of reasons, but for many of us, it's easier. It's easier. Many of us have more money than we have time. Many of us have the ability, at least some ability, to pay other people to do things rather than to do them ourselves. And in some ways, that's completely fine and even good. It employs other people. It can impart dignity to another image bearer of God by providing them a way to earn an income for themselves or their family. And as I was reflecting on that this week, it it strikes me like we have put your generosity, the generosity of this church to the test over these last six months or so. I mean, have we not? We've had a lot of initiatives in 2023. Foster care and fatherlessness, an Easter offering for Water is Basic, fundraising for Midtown Community Church, which, by the way, we got to send them a check this week for over $53,000. We, uh, yeah, that's, let's celebrate that. That's a good, that's a good thing to celebrate. We, uh, we, we, before the campaign that we just finished a couple weeks ago, there had been almost another $10,000 given that was earmarked for them, but that we forgot we already had in our account. So it's a great, it's a great way to like miss. So now we sent not just the 44 or so that, that we raised in this campaign, but all 53 went to them this week. Uh, and then even today, even after that, and as that um, initiative for Midtown Community Church was unfolding, the baby bottle blast. So that generosity 
has been incredible. And it has fueled church plants and global missions and, and local organizations that are doing incredible work. In some ways, being better at generosity than service has an incredible impact. So don't hear me bashing generosity this morning. In some ways, it has a greater impact until, until it forms you into a person who has servants rather than someone who is a servant. There's, there's this sneaky, subtle shift which can set in. We, we start with, my time is limited, which is true. My time is important, which is also true. But subtly, it becomes, I am important. Too important, in fact, to be bothered by things beneath me. So I'll just write a check instead. See, you, you can be generous and never actually assume the posture of a servant. It's actually what a lot of philanthropy in our society, in our culture is. And, and not just our culture, that's been the case for, for generations. But rich people give money so that they never have to get their hands dirty. So they never have to actually take a low place. You can be generous, really generous, and never be a servant. You can be generous and pull up way short of serving as the very presence of Jesus. So hear me when I say this morning, friends, serving, serving is is what's part of discipleship. Serving is part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not simply to live and speak and give as the presence of Jesus, although giving is so, such an aspect of that, but it's to live and to speak and to serve. If you, if you consider Liberty your church, this is your home church, uh, you are always being served. Just want to invite you to consider that this morning. There are a lot of ways that most of us, myself included, can forget or can begin to take for granted. But beyond any of the people that you would see up in the front this morning, someone prayed for you before you came today. There are always people praying for you before anyone walks through this door. Someone set up or reset up the chairs. Scott Burkholder was that guy in the first service, and Keith Bayshore was that guy in this service. Someone vacuumed this floor, and the floors throughout our building. Her name's Tracy. Most of us don't get a chance to meet her, but her name's Tracy. Uh, someone brewed the coffee. It was Jillian Batinger today, and her son, Deacon which is awesome because his name means servant too. And he's already, he's already brewing coffee. So that was great. Someone baked this communion bread. It was Meg Baker this morning. Someone greeted you at the door. And you're not surprised to hear that was Steve and Sandy Ziola. Like they're always greeting people at the door, whether they're officially assigned to that role or not. Okay. They were there today. Uh, someone is running the, so- the slides and the sound and the live stream this morning. Uh, Mike's back there. Michael's back there. Tim's back there running that. Thank you guys for running that this morning. And someone right now in this moment is helping your kids learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. Between the two services, there are 22 men and women this morning. So I won't name them all, but 22 different people are serving our kids today. When you're part of a church, you are always being served. You're always being served. And there's something really right about that. There's something beautiful and humbling to receive the service of other people. That's part of how we live life in community together. But it's also formational. It's also formational. And apart from from health issues or life circumstances or other understandable reasons that some of us rightfully can't serve in some of these ways, if you are only ever being served and not also serving, it is very easy to become formed by the world's definition of greatness. 
You start to believe subtly over time that the church exists to meet my needs and my desires rather than seeing how God has given you gifts that are meant to serve the church. So I want to ask you to consider this morning, are you being formed in your life right now? Are you being formed as one who has servants or as one who is a servant? How are you being formed right now? Following Jesus means we seek to serve, not to be served. I've shared this before, but a while back, there was this small community of Christians who were known for pretty radical commitments to different kinds of Christian service and serving Christian causes. For a period of time, a number of them lived together in the same house. And in this kitchen that they shared, where they you know, ate together and made meals together, in their shared kitchen hung a sign with a, a simple but profound message. It said, everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. Everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. And I love that phrase. I think it fits so well with Jesus' revolutionary words here in Mark 10. The vast majority of our serving is tens of thousands of daily, mundane, ordinary tasks. Things that are so obscure that most people never see them, never hear about them. We never get noticed for them. Doing the dishes when it's not your turn taking care of a parent or a friend or a spouse or a sibling, cooking and cleaning, maintaining a home in the service of a family, to get coffee for the intern rather than expecting the intern to get coffee for you, to take a serving role in a church, even if you don't feel particularly gifted or particularly passionate about it. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. But the incredible thing about God's kingdom is that the very one who ushers in this revolution does a whole lot more than the dishes. He he takes the lowest, most humiliating, most suffering laden place, and he does that to serve us. So third and finally, let's talk about a ransom. A ransom. It's verse 45, really, in particular, that turns the world upside down. Unlike every other religion and philosophy and worldview, where where the people exist to serve the deity. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, comes into this world to serve the people. Our God comes not to be served, but to serve. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, as we pray together sometimes in the Lord's Prayer. But he left that, he left all of that and dwelt among us. And he came into this world not to subdue us, but to serve us. Not to inflict suffering upon us, but to save us. Jesus served to the point of laying down his life, giving it, as Mark records here, as ransom, which is a payment to purchase the freedom for those who were once enslaved. And this little, the little mini-series where we're talking about why we're here, let's remember why we're named Liberty Church in the first place, why we seemingly can't spell the word liberty the right way. Liberty with an I means freed people. Freed people. We are those who were once enslaved by our own sin, but we have been set free by the ransom of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's that's who we are. Every time we get together, whether it's in this room or in Bible study groups or other kinds of connection points we have, that's who we are. And it's only possible because the one who was worthy of all of our service came instead to serve you and me, to serve us. And so just like James and John, before you can ever serve as the very presence of Jesus, you must first receive the way he has served you. 
If you and I are ever going to follow in his footsteps and serve as his presence, we must be first served by him. Jesus' service is our salvation. It's the only way that anyone can enter into the kingdom of God. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ laying down his life, paying that ransom for us. His life, his body, his blood is the price which paid our ransom. The cup that he drank was unique. His work is unique. He alone can save us by his service. But as he saves us by his service, his serving also becomes our example. Becomes our example. That's why Jesus says here, whoever would be great among you. It's not just him. It's whoever would be great must be your servant. James and John certainly cannot drink Jesus' specific cup. Can't do it. But they will drink their own. That's what Jesus alludes to here. James is going to die a martyr in the early church. John goes on to live a long life, but a really hard life. And best we can tell from history, it ends with him in exile from the Roman Empire on this island called Patmos. But both of these men live out their lives as faithful servants of Jesus, faithful servants of of his church. With different specifics, all of us who follow Jesus must pursue the same thing. Which is as counter, if we're honest, which is as counter to our nature as it gets. See, by default, we think about how other people can benefit and serve us. And, and, and even in those moments of our lives when we are inclined to serve another person, it's almost always to serve those kinds of people who can reciprocate somehow, who can somehow, when we serve them, they can kind of scratch our back and help our lives or help our career track or help our bottom line. And that's why the, the recruitment tactics of a lot of volunteer organizations are what they are. It's, you know, serve because of the amazing experience it will be. Serve because it'll be a great thing to put on your resume. Serve because it'll bring a sense of self-satisfaction. And a lot of you know this already, but at the end of the day, that's not serving others. That's just a roundabout way of serving yourself. As Jonathan Edwards once put it, if you don't believe the gospel of grace, then you've never done anything for the love of others or the sheer beauty of it. You've done it for yourself. Jesus was not sitting in all of the glories and majesty of heaven one day thinking, you know what? My life feels a little bit empty. My life feels like it needs something more significant in it. I need a richer experience to become more well-rounded. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll enter into the humanity and, and, you know, serve some people. No, for the life of the world, Jesus Christ poured himself out to the point of death so that image bearers of God like you and like me might be ransomed, that the cost of our sin might be paid in full. The only way that you and I will ever truly serve as the very presence of Jesus, the only way that we will ever really serve people for their own sake and not in a roundabout way for ours, is if we first trust that Jesus has served us for our salvation. If not, somewhere in the depths of our hearts, we're always going to be serving other people to gain something from God. We'll always be bringing some kind of resume of our service to God in order to to earn salvation, to earn favor, to earn merit from him. We'll always be seeking to serve ourselves in that way. And so I just want to ask you this morning, is Jesus's service both your salvation and your example? Is it both of those things this morning? Have you received the way that he came to serve you? Have you trusted in his finished work, in his ransom, to be set free from sin. If not, 
Start there. Start there. Before you can ever truly serve someone else, you must receive Jesus' service of you. If you have received his service, and I know many of you in this room have, ask yourself now in response to that, where am I putting myself forward in the low place? What might I have been writing off because I considered it beneath me? Where am I pursuing true greatness? Not according to the standards of the world, but according to the standards of of God's kingdom. Or to say it another way, how am I today, with this day that God has given me, how am I serving as the presence of Jesus? Church, because Jesus Christ put himself forward to the lowest place, put yourself forward in the low places. Receive the way that Jesus Christ has served you. And then in response, may you live, may you speak, but may you also serve as his very presence in this world. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you have made this divine truth real to us when you entered into this world. And we just rejoice this morning that apart from your incarnation, apart from your life and your death and your resurrection, we would have no concept of what it actually meant to be a servant. We have been impacted immensely by the work that you have finished. And I pray this morning that for those of us who have received that work, that we would rejoice again in it as we prepare to come to your table. For any of those who have not received it, I pray that they would look upon your work with new and fresh eyes this morning, that they would see the beauty of how you poured out your life, how you gave your life as ransom for us, and how your service is our salvation. And Father, as we just now prepare to come to this table which you've prepared for us, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, renew us in the grace that we receive because you've served us? Would you renew us in that? Would you form us as those who receive your service? Would you also prepare and equip and embolden us as we prepare to go back out into this world. Make us true servants. Make us those who truly serve others for their sake and not our own. Make us those who serve as your presence in this region. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.